Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on this week's program, the University of Central Florida begins a new interdisciplinary public history project called Riches. We're hoping through this initiative to help create a sense of place and identity for Central Floridians. As the future of health care is being debated, we'll meet a man who spent 68 years working in a South Florida hospital. I was on turn for Albuquerque. And we'll visit St. Michael's Historic Cemetery in Pensacola. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. Public History Program at the University of Central Florida is beginning a new interdisciplinary project called the Regional Initiative for Collecting the History, Experiences, and Stories of Central Florida, or the Riches Program. This umbrella program will bring together a variety of public history projects with the goal of helping Central Floridians have a deeper understanding of local history. Rose Byler is chair of the History Department and the director of public history at UCF. We're hoping through this initiative to help create a sense of place and identity for Central Floridians um, and to help us to learn more about who we are and our past um, going back before the age of Disney. Although sponsored by the UCF History Department, Byler says that the Riches Program will be a collaborative effort with a variety of businesses, community groups, and history-based organizations throughout the region. For all of these projects, we really need to bring in other people in order to help us collect the stories, find the sources, um, and to uh, create the information that we need to make these projects work. Um, we, we, there are lots of projects that are already underway that people are doing in the, in the community that have been done before. And what we're hoping to do is to um, bring those projects in, to build on them, to use the resources that others have collected, uh, to try to create a greater um, sense within the community of, of who we are and uh, to ma- bring more visibility to our history. The public history program at UCF is taking an interdisciplinary approach to the Riches Project, utilizing different departments at the university to help further the project's goals. 
we're interested in, in looking at the history, but obviously in order to do all of these projects, we're going to draw on other disciplines. So uh, because there are technology pieces involved, we'll be working with people who are familiar with different forms of digital media. Um, we'll be working with people who can help us with film. Uh, we'll be working with, for instance, um, translators so that we can get at sources that are in other languages or so that we can actually produce some of our programs in other languages. And so uh, we're looking at different people from different disciplines and people who have different um, professional skills uh, to help us work on the projects. While the particulars of the Riches program are still evolving, four public history projects have been identified as the foundation of this effort. The Building Blocks project will focus on businesses in Central Florida between 50 and 100 years old. Oral histories will be collected and relevant documents archived to serve as an educational resource. Connie Lester is an associate professor in the UCF History Department and editor of the Florida Historical Quarterly. The Building Blocks Project looks at uh, area businesses over time, and we're looking uh, to demonstrate to uh, people who will look at our website the ways in which Florida businesses have been instrumental to the creation of community in Central Florida. Um, So using a series of maps, we'll look at business development, the creation and disappearance of towns as businesses come and go, uh, the development of farms and citrus groves, um, the ways in which transportation, the creation of roads and railroads, uh, were instrumental in uh, the ongoing of particular towns or in the demise of towns. Um, In those particular towns or or uh, farms, we will do oral histories. We will use archival materials to tell the story of those towns uh, from a business perspective, believing that business is, is the building block to community itself. The second thing that we'll do is to create a digital archive or digital database uh, that people can access, both scholars and the general public can access this database um, that will not only provide them with answers to the questions they have about business development in Central Florida, but also will uh, encourage them to ask new questions about those, uh, those questions they brought originally. The second project currently falling under the Riches Program umbrella is called Our Place and Space, celebrating 50 years of Americans in space. Spencer Downing is an assistant professor of history at UCF. The Our Place in Space project is an effort to use the 50th anniversary of human beings in space, and particularly Americans in space, as a way for the Central Florida region to think about how it has changed over the last 50 years, particularly in conjunction with the space program. And in 2012, we'll have the 50th anniversary of John Glenn's orbit around the Earth. In 2011, it'll be the 50th anniversary of Alan Shepard going up. So between that moment in May of 2011 and February of 2012, we want to have a series of programs throughout the Central Florida region that hit in all kinds of themes, not just history, but we're talking biology, we're talking kids' programs, we're talking arts programs, we're talking in sciences, all of which will be a way of asking Central Floridians to think about their community Think about how this area has changed over the last 50 years. Think about the way that the space program has affected not just this central Florida region, but think, thinking about humanity in general. And also, 
ultimately to come together as a community. So we're hopeful that we can get community partners, both in terms of nonprofits and educational institutions, but also businesses and local uh, civic organizations, all to think about programming on a variety of levels that use this theme of Americans in space as a way to think about community in Central Florida. Last June, listeners to Florida Frontiers were introduced to the Next Exit History Project developed at the University of West Florida in Pensacola. During a presentation at the Florida Historical Society annual meeting, the creators of the project described their GPS-based presentation of historical information. Patrick Moore, director of the Public History Program at UWF, says that helping other institutions utilize the Next Exit History technology was always part of the plan. Absolutely. Um, I think in a large part it was because of the meeting that we had up in Pensacola, which was a, an appropriate place for it to happen, and then having uh, people like Dr. Foster uh, be there to hear our presentation. And there were several others who actually heard your show who contacted us and have been using the development uh, templates to actually identify and address locations within their own communities. Uh, this is a really important step forward. We were very appreciative for the Florida Humanities Council and the funds that they provided to tech get the first steps of this program off the ground. But subsequent to that, it's really how do you make a much more robust, scalable program. And we really see this partnership with UCF and their ability to cover enormous amounts of space within Central Florida, especially along this uh, travel corridor where people really don't know about the history outside of Disney. Um, it's invaluable, and I think it's really going to mark Florida as a, as a leader in a very important program which we're uh, pushing forward nationally. We now have a relationship uh, in the works with the Wells Fargo. We have a graduate student working on his practicum up at uh, Yellowstone. So national elements, but this is the first very major consorted effort uh, right here in this corridor. It's fantastic. While most of the next exit history information is based in North Florida, the Riches Program will bring the technology to Central Florida. Amy Foster is an assistant professor of history at UCF. UCF and, and our public history program has decided to partner with uh, the University of West Florida's Next Exit History Program. Um, what we have been hoping to do with this project is really help to flesh out the database of podcasts and, and accessible information through the Next Exit History Project that really focuses on Central Florida. Um, our area is vast and we have countless uh, sources to document as part of this project that that simply the the resources of the University of West Florida just haven't been able to do yet um, and we want to help them develop that um, what we see coming out of this um, is is documenting the history and providing that as a public resource um, for travelers interested in heritage and cultural tourism in Florida uh, for areas outside of Disney um, that there's so much more to, to Central Florida uh, to explore that most people just simply don't know about. And this is something that will be available to people through those handheld devices, um, their phones, their garments, that will give a whole new side uh, to the history of Central Florida. The fourth component currently identified as being part of the Riches program is public history podcasts. These public history podcasts will enrich the Riches program. Robert Casanello is an assistant professor of history at UCF. Well, the podcast will be a way to deliver content. So um, the projects we have going already and future projects, the podcast will be available to 
to the different parties that are working on exhibits or programming or speakers. And that will be a way to get to people in Central Florida who may not be able to physically get to the event or the exhibit or what have you, or even people around the country or the world who want to participate in and possibly get a sample of, of some of the richest programming, but of course aren't physically uh, in the area. Right now, there are two public history podcasts available for download from iTunes. They can be accessed from the UCF History Department website. We have a public history podcast, which is a monthly podcast that addresses different aspects of public history. Usually we interview an a museum or archive or someone involved in public history, and we talk about some of the issues that that individual faces in their, in their careers in public history. And we have a second podcast, which is on the Florida Historical Quarterly, which features the current issue of the Florida Historical Quarterly, and that comes out four times a year with the quarterly. While the Riches Program will bring together scholars, businesses, community groups, and not-for-profit institutions, a primary goal is to get students involved. Rose Byler. The role of the students will be to actually get out into the community and into community sources in history uh, to help us collect those stories, uh, to do some writing of the stories, we hope, uh, to do oral histories. And so they will really be working with community partners, um, for instance, with businesses to help uh, collect the stories of the businesses that will be a part of our Building Blocks project. Um, so they will actually be helping us do a lot of the collecting of the stories and recreating of the, the history of the area. The Regional Initiative for Collecting the History, Experiences, and Stories of Central Florida, or RICHES program, is a project of the Public History Program at the University of Central Florida. What a time it was, and what a time it was, it was. A time of innocence, a time of confidences. Long ago it must be. I have a photograph Preserve your memories They're all that's left you This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit our website at myfloridahistory.org to see the latest books about Florida history, find out about upcoming special events, and become a member of the Florida Historical Society.
The future of healthcare reform is being hotly debated these days, and an historical perspective is always useful. A Stewart resident worked at Martin Memorial Health System for what some would consider a lifetime, nearly 68 years. Janie Gold has more. John Scott was a young man in 1939, and Martin County Hospital was new. The administrator, M. R. Cartwright, offered him a job as a gardener for $30 a month. I said that's fine. After a while, the lone orderly in the hospital quit. John Scott got his job and soon learned how to prep patients for surgery and assist during operations, which mostly were for hernias or appendix removal. He was single at the time. He didn't meet his wife Bertha until later, so he lived in a room in the hospital basement. I was on turn for Albert Cole. Jupiter Island philanthropists William and Francois Barstow had paid for construction of the hospital. They stipulated that its doors must be open to all without discrimination. Inside the hospital, patients in those early years were segregated by race. They had a white on this side and black on that side. Now on the other end, they had the colored nursery and the white nursery. The operating room was often sweltering. No air conditioning. No, we didn't have no air conditioning. Had two big fans out there in the hallway. Did that help? No, we couldn't feel them in there. And the surgeon worked under intense lights that made it even hotter. One doctor asked John Scott to help him out with that problem, but he didn't call him by his name. It's really wiped the sweat off my face. Why didn't he call you John? Well, he just liked really the best. Miss Nielsen, she was giving an anesthetic, and uh, she picked up on that. She said, "Doctor Neto, his name is really his name is John." He said, "Well, I just like really the best." Racial customs at Martin County Hospital started changing during World War II. Two GIs who were buddies were admitted. One was white, another was black, and somehow or another, they made a mistake and put both of them in the same room. A nurse told the soldiers they'd have to be separated, but they refused. He said,、uh, "We in the army together, and we gonna stay in here together." And so they did. Yeah. A few years after the war, a hurricane blew through and left John Scott with some more lasting memories. It was so bad, water was floating down the hallway, and we had to move all the machines out the operating room out in the hallway. Besides working as an orderly, John Scott earned a certificate as a licensed practical nurse. He helped Stewart's beloved Dr. Julian Parker deliver babies too. Dr. Parker delivered 4,000 babies, including 31 sets of twins. They're known around Martin County as Parker babies. John Scott also worked in the X-ray department and in medical records. He received numerous commendations from the hospital, which also took note of his attendance record. You never missed a day of work in 68 years. Oh, I got bumped my leg and had to lay up a few weeks. That's the only time.、Mm-hmm. The hospital named the John Scott Healing Garden, and they got a monument out there too of me. Is that right? Isn't、yeah. that nice? And October twenty-first of each year shall be known as John Scott Day. Guys, you how old you are? I'm afraid you get around to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it when people ask me either. I was born September the eighth, nineteen fifteen, and I feel like I'm forty-five. What do you attribute your long and healthy life to? Well, I just took care of myself.、Uh, go to bed when time to go to bed, and go to church, and and I read my Bible, and come to work, and do my job. His mother gave him some advice a long time ago that served him well over the years. To mind your own business, hear and don't hear, see and don't see. 
John Scott retired in 2007. Janie Gould from WQCS prepared that report. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. Benedictine monks of St. Michael performed the same chants they did when Catholic missionaries first came to Florida in the 1500s. Florida has some of the oldest cemeteries in the country, places that can provide a valuable resource for our understanding of the past. Bill Dudley reports on how one historic cemetery in Pensacola has united a community across racial and ethnic lines. In the heart of downtown Pensacola, historic St. Michael's Cemetery may hold the remains of some of Florida's first European settlers, according to University of West Florida archaeologist Marco Stringfield. It's quite possible that the area right within or around St. Michael's Cemetery was being used as a burying place by the British as early as the 1760s. The oldest marked grave in the cemetery dates to 1811, and we do have a good bit of archival research that ties it into Pensacola's second Spanish period, which uh, began in the 1780s. Stringfield is principal investigator for the St. Michael's Cemetery Restoration Project. She says over the years, hurricanes and other natural forces have taken their toll on the cemetery, as well as misguided efforts to tidy up around the grounds. But ironically, the single most destructive event in recent history may also have been one of the most beneficial for St. Michael's long-term preservation. Well, in the spring of 99, we had a particularly violent episode of vandalism in St. Michael's Cemetery, and it really drew people's attention. It uh, really galvanized our community, and uh, people stepped forward. Uh, Community groups, individuals just came forward and said, what can we do to help? And so we have had a wonderful outcome pouring of public response. Beginning last year, the university spearheaded a broad-based initiative involving the city's preservation board, private industry, schools, even local theater groups, all to inform the public of the challenges facing St. Michael's, as well as why we should preserve sites like this around the state. 
the history of the cemetery and how it developed is usually also indicative of how the community around it developed. The markers themselves can tell us status of the people, their religion, their ethnic background. It can give us clues about epidemics that have moved through the area, aging populations, all types of information. Sharon Thompson, founder and head of the Center for Historic Cemeteries Preservation, says today's cemeteries are the product of some two centuries of evolution. Most American burial traditions that we see now had their root in medieval Europe. 300 years ago, most of the burying places were associated with churches. People of high rank were buried, sometimes in the floor of the church or in caverns beneath the church, outside the church in the yard. And as the graveyard got more and more crowded with corpses, the graves would be reused. And in many cases, the sanitary conditions were abominable. The late 1700s saw a movement away from the church and eventually out of the town itself. 19th century cemeteries became greener and more friendly, paving the way for the professionally managed lawns and memorial gardens of 20th century America. The cemeteries were on large tracts of land outside of the urban area. They were often landscaped beautifully with different types of trees and patterns of paths and lakes and ponds and statuary that made the cemetery more like a park. All this reflects modern America's trend away from personal contact with the dead. It used to be that when people died, the family and the community washed the body, dug the grave, did the funeral. And as the funeral process became more secular, more professional, that led to the rise of these types of cemeteries. Meanwhile, Florida has been one of the first states in the nation to recognize the importance of its historic cemeteries, funding efforts to preserve sites in Key West, St. Augustine, Tallahassee, as well as St. Michael's. And this is what you would see off of the radar from that area. These are three contiguous lines, uh, one space one meter apart. At a well-attended public meeting, townspeople learn how UWF archaeologists are working with NASA scientists using ground-penetrating radar to develop a GIS, or Geographic Information System, to map the location of everything above and below ground. We have also tied this to a database of tombstone information, and this is going to be available to the public. So, in essence, you'll be able to take a um, virtual tour of the cemetery, click onto any name or any tombstone, and be able to pull up all of the information that we have about that tombstone. Margot Stringfield says a cemetery like St. Michael's is reflective, both of a culture and a society. If you look in St. Michael's Cemetery, you would see a cross-section of the very diverse population that made up the founding of our city and was very instrumental in how Pensacola was formed. You see not only a real vivid picture of the people that were in Pensacola, but also the events that affected them. We, we see a wonderful example of the people that came to Pensacola from all over the world to make their lives here on the Gulf Coast frontier. I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Be sure to join us again next week, and until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. Thanks for listening. 
I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated.